You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Well, Stonegate, today is a special day for two reasons. Jimmy uh, mentioned this uh, at the top of the service. Ryan alluded to this. Uh, First, today is Compassion Sunday. Um, about a decade ago, I uh, got the chance to see Compassion's work in a just a really up close and personal way, seeing exactly what they do and in the context they do it in. And I was just an instant fan. And then about a year ago, uh, we got a chance to uh, have our first sort of Compassion Sunday as a church family. Uh, we got a chance to link arms with Compassion for the sake of releasing children from poverty in Jesus's name. And uh, I love a day like today. We, we get the chance to do that again, to take another step in that partnership uh, to see that happen, to see children released from poverty, extreme, the most extreme poverty uh, on the planet, uh, to see children released from poverty in Jesus' name. So we get a chance to do that today. So uh, in a lot of ways, uh, my part today is just to kind of get a set up for that uh, and, and to have that moment. Uh, but secondly, uh, the second reason today is so special is it is our 13th birthday. Uh, Ryan just mentioned this, that we have officially reached those teenage years as a church family. Somebody asked me uh, how I felt about that. I'm like, I feel old. That's how I feel uh, about that. You know, when I think back over the last 13 years, uh, there has been one hero in the story of Stonegate. Uh, And the hero has been the person of Jesus. Uh, Jesus has been writing a story in this church family, and it is a beautiful story. It's a story full of so many moments of, of faith, of men and women embracing risk. When I think about those first few people in a small little living room, right, just, just hoping and sort of trusting that God had some things out in front of us that were going to be great. When I think about the people over the years in our church family who have just put it on the line for Jesus' sake, that, that's, what, that, that's what the story has been made of, of, of Jesus using people like that. It's been the story of, of so much sacrifice. For 13 years, uh, we've had a church full of people willing to do hard things, A church full of people like that. A church full of people willing to put their time on the line. Their talents, the way God has gifted them on the line. Their treasure, what God has entrusted to them on the line. All of that so that the Lord could could bring out of the ground a church. And then see that church grow and develop and, and thrive. Right? Those people have done that for you. Uh, to create a church family uh, that you could walk into uh, where you could know Jesus and be encouraged towards Jesus. Uh, It's really, when I think back over the last 13 years, been a story of the Lord changing people. Uh, We've got to see so many people, uh, their lives just radically changed by Jesus. People meet Jesus, marriages rescued, men and women grow up in Jesus. Uh, People's heart come alive to the person of Jesus. People coming out of the dark and into the light where Jesus is always inviting us and welcoming us. It's just where Jesus lives and people have found Jesus out there in the light. It's been the story of all of those things. This is the story that Jesus has been writing. And church, wouldn't we say, looking back over the last 13 years, that the Lord has just been so, so, so good to us. It's amazing. So I would just love for us just to have a moment where we applaud Jesus. Could we do that? Just to thank him for his work. Jesus has been so good to us. 
Okay, so here's, here's what I want to do just to, to kind of introduce and to get us thinking about compassion today. I, I want us to think about that number 13. What an important birthday in the life of every human being. Their 13th birthday. Uh, that birthday in a lot of ways marks the moment w- when a child steps across this invisible line. On their 13th birthday is when, is when we sort of recognize that they are no longer a child, but they are something different now. They are what we call a teenager. And every parent holds their breath, right? That's what they have become in that moment. And here's what a teenager is. They are a person who has entered the season where they have begun this intentional walk toward adulthood. It's when a a, a boy makes this intentional walk toward manhood. This girl makes this intentional walk toward womanhood. That's, That's what the teenage years are. Now think about what's at stake with that walk toward adulthood. Um, there is nothing cuter than watching a five-year-old be five. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, to watch a, a three-year-old just do all the childish things that a three-year-old should do. It's, it's, it is funny to watch. There, there are moments as a parent where I laugh at those things, and I know I shouldn't, but it's just, it's, it's funny and cute to watch those things in a three-year-old. But there is nothing more sad than watching a 35-year-old who has a family in tow, be childish. If you've seen that happen, you know just how sad that is. And part of what I want to just say to, to all of us today is that part of what the Lord wants in each of our lives is for us to grow up into adulthood. He wants that for all of us. And not just for our lives in a singular sort of personal way, but also our lives collectively. He wants in the same way churches to grow up into adulthood. Now you see this in part in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is a beautiful chapter. It shows us what love looks like in action. If you want to know, do I love people? If you want to think about that honestly, read 1 Corinthians 13, then ask the question, do I see these things show up in my life as I'm relating to people? 1 Corinthians 13 is showing us love in action. And then you come to verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 13. And it's the only verse, it's just two sentences. I want to consider these two sentences. One verse, verse 11. I want to consider this one verse with you. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I gave up childish ways. Paul is saying there is a difference between being a male and a man, a girl and a woman. There there is a difference. Paul says, when I was a child, here's what defined me as a child. I spoke like a child. I I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, an adult, something shifted in me. There, There were shifts that took place. And he describes what those shifts look like. And here's the way he describes those shifts in his life. He says, I gave up childish ways. Now, notice Paul did not lose his childlikeness. We keep that throughout our lives. 
Part of what it means to be a mature adult before the Lord is that we are still childlike, humble, dependent before the Lord. So Paul is not saying he gave up his childlikeness. Paul is saying what I lost, what I gave up is my childishness. Paul's saying, I want every one of you to give up your childishness. Every person. I want you to give up your childishness. Every church. I want you to give up your childishness. Um, I love rite of uh, passage ceremonies, especially that one that happens at the age of 13. I would just encourage every parent to mark that moment uh, by uh, just a rite of passage, by initiating people into the journey, your kid into the journey of uh, adulthood. Uh, They've started that journey. They're walking toward, they're in that season now of their life. And I love those moments. And when I'm invited to come and celebrate those moments, to mark that moment, I love to read this very passage, 1 Corinthians 13. And then to look at a 13-year-old and say, that's the journey you're on. This is the journey you're on. You're in that season of giving up your childishness. It's going to be hard to do that. It's hard. You're going to have to learn how to do that, how to, how to give up your childishness so that you can become a man, so that you can become a woman, so that you can become an adult, so that you can grow up into the sort of person that Jesus can use for his purposes in the world. That, that's what you're in the season of doing right now. But to do that, there's going to have to be some huge shifts in your life. That only comes if you're willing to make huge shifts. And in the same way, church, uh, this is in some ways what I feel today. We are in that sort of rite of passage moment as a church, right? Where we are having to acknowledge if we are going to get after what the Lord has in front of us, some significant shifts need to happen. At church, when I look back in our past, I'm just so grateful for the, for the fruitfulness for all the Lord has done in our church's life. It, it is an amazing 13-year story. But when I look forward, I see so much more in front of us. Really, the, the work, the fruit is really all out in front of us as a church family. That, that's where it all is. I'm just so full of hope and expectation as I look to the future. But if we are going to be a church that God uses for his purposes in the world, uh, to get the gospel to the next generation, to get the good news of Jesus to our neighbors, to the nations, if we're going to be the sort of church that that Jesus could use to plant a bunch of other churches, if we're going to be the sort of church that, that, that we just embrace, that we are conduits for the grace of God, like what he entrusts to us just flows right through us to meet the needs of other people and not cul-de-sacs of his grace where all that he entrusts to us just stops with us. If we're going to be th- this type of a church, there are significant shifts that are required in our life, in our church's life. We have to become the type of church that the Lord can use for these purposes. Now, in those rite of passage moments, I typically look at the kiddo after reading 1 Corinthians 13, and and I start to talk about some of those shifts. And here are some of the shifts that we talk about in in that moment. There is a shift. This is what it means to give up childish ways. There is a shift from ease to difficulty. From ease to difficulty. I mean, just think about what it's like to be seven years old. Here's part of what every seven-year-old does. They, they pick the path of least resistance, right? For a child, ease is everything. Just how we see the world. 
Where is the easy button? And that's the one I'm going to, that's, that's what I'm going to push, right? Ease is everything to a child. This is part of what it means to think like a child, to reason like a child. Ease is everything. But a man, a, a woman, here's what they do. They do what's difficult. It's a shift from ease to difficult, uh, difficulty. A, a man or a woman, they, they do the things that are difficult. And listen, Jesus has not promised us a life of ease, right? If anything, he is looking at his people and saying, um, I want to tell you what life in a fallen, broken world is going to be like. It's going to be hard. That's what it's going to be like. It's going to be really hard. And listen, when, when we embrace a life of difficulty, we're really just following in the footsteps of Jesus, right? Jesus did what was difficult. He lived perfectly for us. I don't know if you've tried to live perfectly, but that's not easy, right? He did what's difficult. He lived perfectly in our place. He died for us. I, I don't know the last time that you have just, you have just embraced suffering for the sake of someone else. That is hard. And that's what Jesus did. He died for us. He rose for us. This is Jesus doing what is hard. And what Jesus did empowers our doing, our embracing of difficulty. And so there's a shift in every 13-year-old's life. To embrace what is difficult, it's ease to difficulty. It's doing what's difficult. It's when hard comes that we don't deny it. We don't avoid it. We do the difficult things. We do the hard things. And what's true in the life of every 13-year-old boy or girl is true in the life of every 13-year-old church. If we are going to become the sort of church that the Lord is going to use for his plans and purposes in the world, it means that we cannot think about the world in a childish way, that ease is everything. No, we have to embrace difficulty. God, what is the next hard thing that you have for us? Because we want to leap toward that thing saying yes to it. This is how we grow as a church it's how fruit is produced as a church. It's when a church full of people sees the world like that, not in a childish way, but we grow into our adulthood as a church. So we talk about that shift from ease to difficulty. Uh, then we talk about that shift from the temporal to the eternal. Uh, this is part of what it means to be a child is you can't see past the next second. I mean, just think about a four-year-old. Thinking three minutes into the future is an impossibility, right? It's just not the way it works. It's, it is everything is instant for a child. That's the way a child sees the world. That's the way they think about the world. But that's not true of a mature man or a woman. A mature man, a mature woman is not thinking about the next moment. They are thinking a million years into the future. That's how Jesus invites us to think. And that's a shift that every church has to make. To, to not just think a minute into the future, but a million years into the future. To know that our life, what we do right now, is like a, a, a rock that is dropping into a pond, sending ripples a billion years into the future. That we can enjoy a billion years from now. And then it's us making the shift to live with that awareness. In light of that reality, it's a shift from the temporal to the eternal. And then we get to the, the final shift. I get to look at a 13-year-old and say, uh, if you want to give up childish ways and you want to step into your adulthood, you have to make this shift from myself to others. 
from myself to others. Uh, think about the way a child sees. Here's one of the ways that we could describe it. Uh, it's me in the middle. Me in the middle. That, that's the way a child sees the world, uh, right? It's just the way we come out of the womb innately thinking about the world. Have, have you noticed that in yourself? Just that me in the middle sort of way of seeing. Uh, if you want to see a good picture of it, look at yourself uh, the next time you see yourself in a group picture. Right? It's the reason that the first person you always look to is you. The per first person you always find is you in that picture, right? It's just a way that we come out of the womb seeing. Now, you can see this so clearly in a room full of two-year-olds, right? Because they don't have sophisticated ways of hiding it. Right? They just haven't developed, they haven't learned how to hide that me in the middle mentality. So when a bunch of two-year-olds are in the room and one two-year-old wants a toy that other two-year-olds want in the room, do they, do they think like this? I wonder who else wants this. I wonder who else is playing with this. No, they don't think like that, do they? They, they think this is what I want and what I want reigns so war is about to erupt in that room. Right? This is the life of every two-year-old. And we come by that honestly. This is part of what sin has done to each of us. It's curved us in on ourself where, where innately we just cannot see beyond our own lives. What we feel, what this is doing to us, how that person is, we just, we can't see beyond our own little lives. This is what sin has done to us. It blinds us. Sin blinds us to the plight of other people. So this is a shift every 13-year-old person and every 13-year-old church must make. We, we could describe the shift like this, maybe. It's the shift where we move out of the middle. Myself to others, where we move out of the middle. Here's why that shift is so important. When we move out of the middle, it makes room for Jesus in the middle. That, that is the only way we can be a healthy human being. It's for us to be out of the middle so that Jesus can be in the middle. This is one of the reasons I love John chapter 3. It's an amazing chapter for a lot of different reasons. But I love what's happening there because John the Baptist is like the man. And all of a sudden, the man, John the Baptist, he is losing all of his followers. They are all leaving him and they're going to Jesus. And some of John's disciples come to John the Baptist and they're like, John, we got a problem. Nobody's following you anymore. They, they are all over there. What are we going to do to get those people back over here with you? And, and John looks at them and says, um, here's what we're going to do. Nothing. And here's why. Because he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. That is what a mature man looks like. Jesus must increase, I must decrease. That is a man who has moved out of the middle. He has made the shift. John can honestly say, uh, hey, my disciples, uh, it's not about me. It is about Jesus. That's who it's about. Now, can I just ask you the question, have you made that shift? Just look at your life for a moment. Have you made the shift? Is your life all about you? Or is it all about Jesus? When what Jesus wants crashes into what you want, whose wants win? Yours or Jesus? Are you at the center of the universe? Everything else revolving around you, Jesus revolving around you, other people revolving around you. Or is Jesus at the center of the universe? Everything, including you, revolving around him. 
Uh, maybe this is another way we could talk about this shift. It's just another way to say that one of the marks of manhood or, or mature womanhood is the ability to get over ourselves. Isn't that hard to do? Just to get over ourselves. That is the crucial shift for every 13-year-old person, every 13-year-old church. So we just need to preach that to ourselves this morning. It is not about me. It is about Jesus. We just have to get over ourselves. If we want to be the type of church that God can use for his purposes in the world, we have to get out of the middle. You, if you're going to be the sort of person that Jesus can use, you have to get out of the middle. Here's the problem with us being in the middle. The more we are in the middle, the more we will be enslaved to a million different sins. Impatience, anger, lust, greed. All of those things flow out of us being in the middle. It is all about us. It is impossible for me to be a great husband if everything is about me. It's impossible for me to be a great friend if everything is about me. For me to be a great pastor if everything is about me. For me to be a great parent if everything is about me. For me to be a great anything if everything is about me. It's an impossibility. It, it cannot happen. So the sooner we make this shift in our life, the more life we actually get to live and experience and have. And here's the amazing thing that happens when this shift goes down in a human life. When we move out of the middle, Jesus moves into the middle. And here's the amazing thing that happens. He starts to bring others into the middle with him. Other people. Other people that, that we can serve. Other people that we can learn to love. Other people that we can share Jesus with. Other people that we can help. Other people that we can pray for. Other people that we can encourage. Other people that, that have needs that we can meet their needs. This is how the Christian life works. We move out of the middle. It makes room for Jesus in the middle. And then when Jesus is in the middle, he loves to bring other people into the middle for us to serve. For us to lay our lives down for. This is how the Christian life works in Stonegate. The future of our church family hinges on that shift. Will we move out of the middle and stay out of the middle so Jesus can be in it and then bring other people in with him so that we as a church family can lay our lives down for? But will we do that? Will we make that shift? Will we be able to say, Jesus, um, what you want, that's what we want. Jesus, your wishes, those are our wishes. Can we look at Jesus and say, yes, we will willingly lay our lives down, die and be forgotten so that you, Jesus, can be remembered and enjoyed by more people? Can we make that shift? Can we look at Jesus and say, Jesus, as you're in the middle and as you bring other people into the middle, people to be served, loved, their needs met, God, our, our hearts will leap toward them with a Yes meeting those needs. Can we look to Jesus and say, Jesus, as you bring people with needs our way, we will bring our yes to you. So Jesus, you, you just bring the needs, we'll bring the yes. We'll bring our lives, we'll bring our availability. God, we will leave our childishness behind and we will make this shift, making room for you in the middle allowing you to bring people into our path with you into the middle that, that we can love and serve. And really, this brings us now to Compassionate Sunday. 
This Sunday in particular gives us a moment to practice this shift. That life is not about me. Life is about Jesus and the other people that Jesus brings into the center with him for us to love and serve. So when it comes to poverty, just think of global poverty for a moment. When it comes to poverty, I don't know of a better sustained response to global poverty than compassion. If you have one, I would be all ears. I, I don't know of a better sustained response for a church to have than glo uh, to global poverty than, than to link arms with compassion. I, I said this at the top, but let me just say again what compassion does. They are all about releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And I love those last three words. It's actually one of the things that really differentiate them from other sort of uh, people and organizations who are doing work like this. It's in Jesus' name. So there is an overt, we are bringing Jesus with us as we meet these needs. It's very overt. A kiddo with compassion uh, is going to hear about Jesus. Can I just give you an, a, just a crazy stat? Uh, you know, compassion, you know, there, there are literally millions of kids sponsored with compassion. And every four minutes, one of those kids meets Jesus. Every four minutes. Roughly 350 kids every day meets Jesus through a compassion project, through a church that is ministering to the needs of a community that, that compassion is helping do that. So it's releasing children from poverty in Jesus's name. Extreme poverty, the worst kinds of poverty on the planet, that's where they're working. And here's what's amazing. For less than $40 a month, that is like one family trip to Chick-fil-A, right? That's like half a family trip to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> For less than $40 a month, you can sponsor a child. That sponsorship then gives that child access to food, clothing, medical treatment, education, and most importantly, Jesus. Gives them access to all of those things. And a year ago, we jumped in with compassion. We thought, uh, we, we were really hoping that we would sponsor 300 kids last year. And uh, man, it just, it's just such a beautiful moment in the life of our church family. You stepped into that moment last year and we sponsored almost 450 kids last year about this time. That's amazing, isn't it? You should give yourself a round of applause. Now, here's what that has meant for our church family. That our church family over the last 12 months has given roughly $210,000 to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. That's amazing. In the last 12 months, you, church family, you have done that. I'm just so proud of that. That's an amazing thing that you have stepped into and that you have done. And part of uh, how we have just arranged uh, compassion is that uh, all of our sponsorships, all of the kids that, that we are saying yes to are from a particular part of Guatemala because we want our zip code to affect that zip code. Uh, this is why this morning uh, we just have kind of a Guatemalan thing going on. All of our coffee's from Guatemala. You're going to get some sweet bread just as a, a way to celebrate our 13th birthday. All of that's like a Guatemalan thing. So all of that's happening because all of our kids that we're sponsoring are from a particular place in Guatemala. And one of the things this will allow us to do over time is to do mission trips to Guatemala where you are going to get to see the kiddos you're sponsoring. You're actually going to get to meet these kids face to face one day for all who go on uh, those uh, mission trips to Guatemala. Now, here's what we told Compassion early on. 
after we sponsored those kids last year, we just said, hey, anytime you have more kids that are from that area that need sponsorship, here's all you have to do. You just need to let us know and we are going to bring our yes to meet that need. So Compassion has come back and here is the current situation. We have 300 more kids in that area that need sponsorship. And here's what I'm asking for you, our church family today, is that we as a church family would leap toward that need with a yes. That all 300 of those kids would, would by the end of this day, be sponsored. For less than $40 a month, access to food, clothing, medical treatment, education, uh, and most importantly, to Jesus, that all 300 of them uh, would do that. And again, this is just a way for us to practice those shifts that have to happen in every person's life and in every church's life. Ease to difficulty, temporal to eternal, myself to others in church. When we do this, when we step in and meet these types of needs, here's the beautiful thing. Everyone wins. But when you step into needs like this and meet needs like this, you win. Uh, Jesus is very clear. He, he tells us in the scriptures, it is more blessed to give than receive. That is Jesus saying, I have things for you in these moments of you meeting the needs of other people. Here's what I get to do in you when you step into needs like this. I get to open your eyes beyond your own little life. You, you get to see more in your life than your little life. I get to show you more, help you see more. You get the privilege of watching me bring a human being into the middle with me. And then you get to step into to that person's life, meeting that need. There's all sorts of blessing in there for you, church family, when you step into a need like that. And I just want to give you kind of a concrete example of that. And there's going to be a video on the screen that just is a family talking about uh, the blessing of stepping into a compassion sponsorship. Uh, so why don't you take a look at the video and let's uh, be encouraged by it. God wants us to help other kids so we can make a difference so that people in other countries have exactly all that we, they need. This is our story of sponsoring a child with compassion. So let's start off with compassion. Compassion is a thing that helps other kids develop and get what they need and stuff. And the Bible is pretty clear that generosity is not about how much you have, it's about what you do with what you have. I remember our pastor at our church sharing about how if you don't have to walk to work every day and you have a car, like you are like one of the wealthiest people in the world. That perspective made me realize how much I really have. And I realized that it was really important that we start being generous. You know, we wanted to sponsor a child. And so we looked with Evie and picked out a, a child whose birthday was, was kind of close to hers. So they were around the same age and, and it was a girl also and her name is Marabella, and she's from the Philippines. Um, Marabella is six. She likes singing. She also likes drawing, I think. Understanding the concept of poverty isn't personal until you put a face to it. And Compassion put a face to poverty and a child's name to poverty, and um, it became this huge concept that's just out there somewhere and gave us an actual person to impact. So they, so Mirabella's year was like they had hurricanes. Hurricanes over there, typhoons over there. It made me want to help them because when I think about things that I didn't really like or 
times where it was hard. I think about poverty and how hard poverty would be. And I, and I thought, I wonder how these people feel. I was in the kitchen and Evie woke up and came in the kitchen and she, she literally walked out of her bedroom with this idea pretty much fully formed to the degree that she shared with me, Dad, I had this idea that um, I, could, I could draw pictures, me and my friends could draw pictures, and then people could buy the pictures for a dollar, and then we could send that money to people who are poor. I hoped that it would make a difference that and make enough art to raise $500. You know, she came out of her bedroom thinking about someone else, which is huge for a child to do, and then thinking, what do I have? What, what ability, what assets do I have that I can use to make a difference? So, you know, we thought that getting involved with Compassion, sponsoring a child, we were going to be making a difference. And what we found is that through, through that, Compassion has given us um, a story and this purpose. Well, God wants us to do our gifts because He wants to make the world a better place and a better place for other people. Um, we don't consider ourselves as having very much, but um, because we had this uh, priority, both of, of the type of family we wanted to be, the type of people we wanted to be as followers of Jesus, as parents. Um, Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. And so um, you have to move your treasure around to put your heart in the right place. As people are thinking about whether to sponsor a child, I want to tell everybody, like, do it. Like, it's gonna change your life. Like, you need to do it. So the blue is the sad kid because he doesn't have enough of what he needs. They need food, water, and medical service, and shelter. And the yellow is the happy kid because he has enough of what he needs, and he's been sponsored. We can all show kids the love of Jesus. Sponsor a child and make a difference. Church family, when you step into moments like this, meeting the needs of others, you win. It's more blessed to give than receive. And here's the beautiful thing. The person on the other side of that need also wins. That your generosity uh, opens up a whole new future for another person. Uh, what I'm about to say, I, I think is one of the most amazing truths that um, I can't believe it's real. Okay, listen to what I'm about to say. For $38 a month, you can change a child's life forever. That's amazing to me. For $38 a month, you can do that. Now, I don't want you just to hear that this morning. I, I wanna actually give you a chance to see that. I wanna connect $38 to a real human being who's had their lives really changed by Jesus through something as simple as that. So church family, could you uh, help me introduce and welcome Edgar to the stage? So Edgar, come on up. Good morning. Good morning, Sungate. <laughs> Edgar, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Good. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so for much for sure. inviting me. I met Edgar a couple of years ago and uh, got to hear his story and, gosh, was just so encouraged by it. 
and blessed by it. So, man, I'm just so uh, thankful that our church family gets to meet you today. Thank yes. You. Thank so, you so much. You bet. So uh, let's just do this through a series of questions. So let me just kind of tee you up and let you talk a little bit about uh, the Lord's work in your life over the years. So maybe you could just fill us in on where you're from and just kind of what life was like before the Lord introduced compassion into your life. Yes, absolutely. I am originally from the Dominican Republic and I was born to a single teenage mother and when I was about a toddler, three, four, my mother wanted to pursue better opportunities for us and she thought that the big city, the capital was where those opportunities were going to come from. So she took me and we migrated to Santo Domingo, uh, but when we arrived over there, nobody was expecting us. We just showed up uninvited and then what we found was that we were nearly homeless. We were just crashing at distant relatives, acquaintances, anybody that would let us and just bouncing from place to place. And that went on for about a year. And finally, after that, my mother found us a, a small little place for the both of us that we could finally call home. But it was where the poorest of the poor lived. And I think we were showing a video, I mean, a photo of that there. That was our neighborhood there. And for about another year, we lived over there. But the struggles didn't end. Actually, they increased because now my mother, who was still unemployed, still single, was now responsible for paying rent. And it almost felt like we were on the brink of becoming homeless every single day, as she was always behind on rent. And then food insecurity was just another big thing for us. Uh, a good day will mean that we had a plate of rice and beans. Uh, an average day, a uh, bad day was we had a piece of bread and that's all we had for the day. A really bad day, we just skipped a whole day without eating anything. And it wasn't unusual for that to be the case for several days a week. Yeah. So uh, that went on for about another year and then I'm about five, ready to be enrolled in elementary school. My mother reconnects with my father somehow who was not present in our life in any aspect. And she asked for financial assistance, and my father offers uh, a few coins at that time, and my mother said, well, this isn't going to be enough. We need school supplies, we need uniforms, we need books, we need registration fees. And my father says, well, if school is going to take more than a notepad and a pencil, school is not for him. Let him to grow up illiterate. He won't be the first or last one uh, to experience that. That sat my mother tremendously, but she was determined that she wanted a better opportunity for her son, that, and she knew that education was the key to that. So she started to investigate, and she learned through neighbors that not too far away from our neighborhood, there was a church that partnered with this international ministry called Compassion, where they offer sponsorships to children, uh, and at the same time, they will cover the basic needs. So my mother took me over there, and they took a photo of me. We may have that photo available there. Yes, that was my photo <laughs> there you are, right back there. in 1985. <laughs> they took a photo of me, and that was actually the photo that was used in my Compassion profile. A few weeks later, in an event like this one, a kind, God-fearing man from Florida picked up a packet with my Compassion profile. He decided to sponsor me. That started my uh, journey of being released from poverty and my walk with Christ. Yeah. 
Well, why don't you just walk us through that? So compassion then enters your life, a person sponsors you, and, uh, and what happens from there? Yes, uh, many things happen. And just to put it into perspective, the chances of me, the prospects of me even finishing elementary school were only a fraction compared to the probability of me going to a life of crime and being forced into child labor. In the 80s, in the DR, and still today in many underdeveloped countries, child um, labor was, and it's a big deal, especially to boys of single mothers. They were expected to help the household by working. Uh, and to me, what that meant was going to the city dump, which was our backyard. Other instances could have been just shining shoes in the busy intersections of the city, or just cleaning windshields uh, in the red lights. Um, but because of the compassion intervention and the kindness of Mr. my sponsor, Mr. Rayner, that decided to sponsor me, that was interrupted. So I, I want to summarize it in four key ways that it transformed my life. Number one, it prevented me from that, and that was extremely dangerous. Many of the children that were growing up with me in that neighborhood that had to do that work often didn't come back at the end of the day because they were run over by bulldozers or they were just simply assaulted by other adults to take a piece of precious metal that they found that day. That wasn't my case, as compassion interrupted that. Number two, I was learning while receiving the support uh, with school supplies, with health, with nourishment, uh, with attention, with psychology, and, and, and it's essentially every need was met and, and support was given to me to successfully graduate from high school, uh, which set the path for me to become the first one in my family to ever attend and graduate from college. Amazing. Yes, indeed. Um, number three, having a college education opened doors for me to work in multinational corporations in Dominican Republic and eventually to relocate to the U.S. to work for Fortune 100 companies, uh, which not only um, enabled me to provide for my wife and children, but substantially improved the living conditions of many of my relatives in Dominican Republic, primarily my mother, my siblings, uh, cousins, and others that needed my help, but also to be generous with many others in need. Yeah, and number four and the last one, and this is the most important one, all the other ones would have been meaningless without it. He brought the gospel to me uh, and he discipled me, prepared me to be a follower of Christ, but also with that, he brought the gospel to my, my mother, uh, to my siblings, my grandmother, several of my aunts, friends, and even my father, who eventually reconnected with us and asked for forgiveness for what he did, is now a faithful servant to the Lord, leading several ministries in Dominican Republic where he is helping men uh, in, in the penitentiary, uh, in prison, uh, to reconnect with their sons. That's amazing. Yes, That's indeed. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
And, uh, you know, Edgar, when I first heard your story, uh, you know, the, uh, what happened with you and your sponsor is just such a, um, a special story. And so why don't you just unpack a little bit of that for us, so just how that relationship has, uh, what's happened to that relationship over the years? Yes, absolutely. It, it was initially weird to <laughs> receive letters from somebody you did not know. And especially because those letters were saying things you never heard addressed to you, such as, I love you. I couldn't comprehend how somebody that has never met me all of a sudden loved me. I couldn't even understand what I love you really meant. But eventually that started to have a positive impact in my life, that somebody thousands of miles away from me uh, could express affection for me, could pray for me and tell me that God had great plans for me and that my destiny wasn't determined by the circumstances and that, that the extreme poverty in my neighborhood and that I could be whatever I wanted to, that God had great plans for me. And he quoted Bible scriptures like Jeremiah 29, 11, for the Lord, um, God, has, God has great plans for you, plans for good enough for disaster to give you a future and hope. And I started to dream that, hey, maybe I can become something. Maybe one day I can be out of this neighborhood. And all of that, as I said, was through letters. And you can see these letters are really old. My son one day told me that he tells his friends that my dad has letters in papyrus. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, okay, never mind. Um, but it, it, it had the greatest positive influence in my early and teenage years, that relationship through letters, the mm -hmm. prayers, the encouragement, and, and, and helping me to believe that, hey, don't believe this life from Satan, yeah. that this is your destiny. So upon graduating from the program and going on to college and starting a family, relocating to the U.S., uh, it became my goal to reconnect with this gentleman because I found that I owe him to tell him thank you for not only releasing me and my family and my future generation from poverty, but for enabling the gospel to reach to all of us. And I spent over 15 years looking for him, and he's got a very common name. Um, and it was not on any social media. And it was difficult to find. And when I thought that this was not going to be a possibility. My wife was expecting our youngest child, and I said, I, it seems like I, we may not be able to ever find him, but I want to honor this gentleman by doing something special, and we can never forget him. And, and my wife and I agree we were going to name our son after him, David. But it happens that uh, months later, uh, compassion helped me and gave me some critical information that enabled me to find him. I found him in Florida. We reconnected. I think we have some photos of that there. And it was one of the happiest days of my life to be able to lay eyes on the gentleman that believed he could change a life mm -hmm. by sacrificing, I don't know what that cost was at that time, but let's say the cost of today, $40 a month. And I just gave him a bear hug when I met him, and I just stared at him in the eyes, and I said, I, I just want to thank you. Thank you. And I wanted to see 
the investment that you made, this is what it is today. He couldn't believe it. He said, like, wow, he was so surprised about it. And we have been inseparable since then. So <laughs> he's, I said, you have to come to the promised land. So I brought him to Texas. <laughs> He was really joyful uh, to be here. I took him to San Antonio and a few other parts. And we have been in many other places serving together as well. Compassion. Uh, we don't miss an opportunity to spend time together. And in just a couple of months, uh, he turned me into a huge Georgia Bulldogs fan, because oh, he's a Bulldogs no. fan. <laughs> <laughs> so in... in in October, we're going to be spending time together again. We're going to catch a game of the, of the Bulldogs uh, in Jacksonville. That. Yes. So great. So great. What, a, what an amazing story. So why don't you catch us up now and just what you're doing, where you are. Like, yeah, catch us all the way up to current day life for you. you know, not, not in my wildest dream I could have ever even imagined the life I have today. But it, it is not surprise. And... There is a Bible verse that talks about that, and that is in uh, 1 Samuel 2.8. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. Today, my life is great. God has blessed me abundantly in every aspect of it, starting with the family. I have a God-fearing wife, and we're off to a great start. We have five children already. Just, just, just off to the start. That's right. Let's do it. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Big I mean, families. we have yeah. to grow the church, That's and right. that is That's a great right. way to do That's it. Right. <laughs> We devote all the time and energy that we can to raise our five children, primarily to be faithful disciples of the Lord, to love God, to love others, to serve God, and to serve others. We're involved heavily in compassion in doing events like this one uh, and, and in other events, giving our, our time uh, and our treasures, even sacrificially at times. And there we are, all of us yeah. serving compassion. And professionally never thought that a fatherless kid from the slums of Santo Domingo could ever rise to become a, a top uh, leader in one of the biggest financial companies uh, in, in, in the U.S. I serve as a senior manager, VP of VP of Senior Manager for our Global Information Security Division, which is a major task for us. And this is not because of anything I did. This is because of the grace of God. This is because one man uh, wanted to honor, uh, be faithful, and sponsor me, and, and prepare me with everything that I needed to eventually to be able um, to fulfill that and, and be in that yeah. position. And one of the greatest honors that I have out of all the many blessings I got, that God has given me after my family is now the ability to give back and be a sponsor. My wife and I, we sponsor five children. We have photos of them. Just getting started, right? Just getting started. <laughs> Three of them in Dominican Republic. Obviously, I'll, I'll be biased about yeah. that. And I have one in... in, in El Salvador, his name is actually David, mm -hmm. and we sponsor one in Haiti as well. 
When I get their letters, and being on that other side of the equation, I cannot describe to you the amount of joy, the level of joy that I have for knowing that I was once in that position, and now I have the ability to do to others what was done to me. And I know that there will be five wonderful stories with many others that will come to Christ as a result of that sponsorship. Yeah, I love that. Yes. So why don't you just uh, spend uh, another minute or two just encouraging us. If we were asking you the question, why should we sponsor a Compassion Kiddo? Uh, why don't you just say what you would want to say to us to encourage us along that path? It is obedience to, God, um, to Jesus' command of make disciples. Mm. This is an incredible way of discipling others, to, to fulfilling the Great Commission. Uh, I'm sure that my sponsor never thought that by sponsoring one child in the Dominican Republic, eventually so many more others will come to Christ. So, and I stand in front of you today as a testimony that a compassion sponsorship truly works. It did for me exactly what it intended to do and even more. It released me from poverty. It trained me to be a follower of Christ. Uh, and he brought the gospel to me and my family. My prayer is that after you have seen what happens in the life of a child that gets sponsored through compassion, that you decide to fulfill the Great Commission mm -hmm. to sponsor a child and to make disciples. Thank you, Stone Gate, for giving yeah, me this thank opportunity. You. Let's give, uh, let's give Thank you, my friend. <laughs> Love you. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Church, I just think this is such a fitting way to spend our 13th birthday. It really is a chance for us to practice those shifts of allowing Jesus to be in the middle, allowing him to bring other people into the middle, and then our heart leap toward those people to meet needs. So that's what today is about. We're gonna have 300 kids available for sponsorship, and this is my first ask, is that we would get all of those kids sponsored today. So I would love for you to pray over that, think over that. Uh, for some, that's gonna be going from one to two, others two to three, some all the way up like Edgar to five. Uh, so it's gonna be a chance for us to step in to meet that need, all 300 of those kids sponsored today. And then secondly, you're, you're seeing from Edgar the importance of letter writing. So for all of those who have sponsored, uh, I'm gonna ask that before you leave today, you can just download the Compassion app. It makes everything so simple. Uh, you can log into that app, and then uh, it's, letter writing is so simple through that little app on your phone. So if you have sponsored a kid, before you leave today, you would gather your family up and you would write that note uh, to the kiddo that you're sponsoring. Before you leave, that you would do that today. Okay, so why don't you bow with me, and I just want to give you a moment to allow the Lord to press into you what would be helpful this morning, to speak to you. Church, we have to make these shifts. What Jesus did empowers our doing this morning. That shift from ease to difficulty, temporal to the eternal. That shift from us in the middle to Jesus in the middle. That's the shifts. These are, the, these are the invitations the Lord is giving you today. So church, let's step into these things. Let's say yes to everything that Jesus sets before us. So Father, we love you. 
We are so thankful we have a God like you who chose what's difficult, lived for us, died for us, rose from the dead so that we could have new life, so that every person who comes to you with the empty hands of faith can find rescue. So Father, if there's anyone here that needs to make that decisive move towards you, I pray this would be their moment. That would be the shift that they would have today. And Father, for all of your kids in this room, God, would you help us get out of the middle? Would you help us have a heart today that would welcome you in the middle? All those you'd want to bring, to have needs that we can meet. God, help our hearts leap toward you and them with a yes. And it's in your good name that we ask it. Amen.